All right, Colossians chapter number four. Colossians chapter number four this evening. Trust you had a good prayer time, and I know we'll take our prayer list with us and use them uh, throughout the week and be praying for one another. And thank you for time of prayer tonight and helping bear one another's burdens and bringing our requests before the Lord and our needs before the Lord. Colossians chapter number four, we have spent the majority of this year looking at individuals in this series on Bible characters, and we have been over the last month or so, I know I was out a couple of Wednesday nights and uh, Brother Earl did the Bible study, but we have been looking at companions in the ministry. In your prayer list on the prayer bulletin, there should be some notes there with four more individuals. These are individuals that not necessarily a lot is recorded in Scripture about them. There's not a lot of information that we have about them. Some of them are mentioned in other places, and we can gather a little bit more. And there's some extra biblical, in other words, church historical, church history information that we can grasp, that we can gather to maybe help us know a little bit more about some of these individuals. But it is a reminder about how each individual church member, each individual in the church is important. We all have a role. We've been looking at spiritual gifts in our Bible study class and how important it is that we exercise those gifts as church members, as part of the body of Christ. And this is uh, part of our calling. And it's a joy to see individuals that Paul loves, that he has been blessed by, that he has been encouraged by, and we'll look at four more of them again this evening. First of all, we see Nymphus in Colossians 4 in verse number 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church which is in his house. There really isn't a whole lot more that we know about him. And Yet, he had an important role in that he hosted the church there. We read again, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. Now, we know that the Laodicean church is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And what is one of the key features of the Laodicean church? They were known as what church? The lukewarm church. So, as... This church grew, apparently it became big enough and it was established enough and well enough known that it was mentioned among the seven churches in Revelation. But apparently in its earliest days, it was just a church in the home, in the house of Nymphus. Now house churches would have been fairly common in that day. There were synagogues that the Jews had, but obviously as People were getting saved as Jews were converting to Christ, as Gentiles were being assimilated into the church. They wouldn't meet at synagogues as a Christian church, as a church that was a truly Christian church following Christ, true Christians. So as the Gentiles and the Jews were coming together in churches, they would often meet in houses. We know in the book of Acts, it was common for the apostles to even go daily to homes. And there would be gatherings of believers daily. 
And that's how the early church would, would meet. And then, of course, uh, throughout history, we know, uh, and it was established in the New Testament Sunday as the Lord's Day and the gathering of believers for worship, for instruction from the Word of God on Sundays, on the first day of the week. We see that pattern, and there's good scriptural principles in the New Testament for establishing Sunday as the Lord's Day. And so in Nymphus's house is where apparently the Laodicean church first met. That would have been fairly common, and it would have been probably a measure of sacrifice and risk. Now, did the Romans grant some level of religious freedom? Yes, but then there were times of persecution. We'll look at Aquila and Priscilla, Lord willing, tonight before our time is out, and they left Rome because of Claudius, who was persecuting the church. We looked in James on Sunday morning as he was writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and the fact that there were persecutions. Paul, as Saul, was breathing out threatenings and slaughter in Acts 8, Acts 9. We know Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We know that Herod Agrippa, I believe it was Acts 8, that Herod Agrippa was involved in a persecution of the church, and this resulted in the scattering. There were other areas of persecution, plus there was, there was racial prejudice and bias against the Jews as an ethnic group. But persecution of Christians was fairly common, especially in the first century, and really all the way up until the 300s, when finally Constantine brought an end to much of the persecution of, of Christians in uh, the 300s uh, A.D. So really throughout the first three centuries of the church, there was uh, a fair amount of persecution at sometimes, at times it would be very intense. So to host a church, to host a gathering of believers, of Christians in your home would have been some risk, would have been some measure of sacrifice that would have been involved in that. So we need to at least think of Nymphus not only as a faithful brother to Paul, but also as one who was hospitable, opened up his home to the church, and was willing to take that risk, especially when there were times of persecution. What did they do? Did they continue to meet in his home? I would imagine they did. I would imagine that there were times where they had to uh, maybe be a little bit more secretive, a little bit more careful. There have been places, uh, USSR, places even right now, and many times it's in that 1040 window, and it's not always there, but oftentimes it's in that 1040 window where believers, they can only meet in secret. They can only meet in a home, and they have to be very quiet about how they do things, and they have to be fairly secretive about how they meet. Uh, apparently, there was some measure of liberty, some freedom for them to meet in uh, the home of Nymphus, uh, but we do uh, want to acknowledge the fact that he was willing to open his home, he was willing to take some measure of risk, and some measure of persecution, possibly, to have the church meet in his house, and eventually... That church grew to the point that it was mentioned as one of the seven uh, major churches in the book of Revelation. And I believe at one time this church met in a house. 
And if I remember right, I think I've seen some pictures. And uh, can I pick on Carolyn for a minute? Was it, was it at your house that the church met for a period of time? Was there another home or two that was involved? Armstrong's? At the Holtz as well. Okay. And so at, at one point, this church in its early days was a house church, and then it became a hotel church, and then it became a gymnasium church. <laughs> and we are thankful for this building, aren't we? We are so thankful, and uh, we are praising the Lord uh, for it, and as we host the conference, and for what God uh, has provided for us. But then we see also Archippus in verse 17, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Archippus, we don't know a lot about him, but he was one who was encouraged to take heed to the ministry. Was Archippus a pastor? Was he a pastor teacher? Was he called to vocational ministry? It appears that he was a pastor in the early days of the church. He was in leadership in some capacity. It appears that he might have been like a Timothy because he has given similar encouragement as Timothy was in 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 5. 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 5, uh, we read a very similar encouragement given uh, to Archippus uh, that was uh, given to Timothy. I want to make sure I read this correctly here, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Was Archippus a little discouraged? It appears that Timothy, at a stage in his early ministry as a young pastor, he became somewhat discouraged. It appears that there are times in First and Second Timothy where Paul is trying to kind of pick Timothy up a little bit and encourage him as it was a bit of a struggle at times for Timothy. And it's, it's common in ministry for pastors to go through times of discouragement, times of, I don't want to call it depression. I don't ever want to refer to some of the stresses that I've had in the ministry, I don't ever want to refer to them as depressing. I don't like to use it that way because uh, I don't want to ever see the ministry as depressing. But are there times of discouragement? Are there times of frustration? Are there times of testing, of challenges? Sure there are. I don't know what Archippus had to deal with. But here we see Paul saying, take heed to the ministry. He is giving Archippus some encouragement he says, you have received this ministry of the Lord. That gives us reason to believe he was a pastor. He was in leadership in the early church. We don't know exactly uh, where or how much uh, of, a, uh, of a gathering, of a church, of, uh, of how much uh, as far as leadership he had and involvement. But he had some measure of leadership, of ministry. Apparently it could have even been a preaching ministry. And he said, you have received this of the Lord. Remember with Timothy, he talked about stirring up the gift. And he mentions the laying on of the hands of the presbytery with, with Timothy. He's saying, don't neglect the gift that God has called you to. You have to keep coming back to what God has called you to do. And maybe with Archippus, with a little bit of a struggle, a little bit of discouragement, 
Whatever the case may be, Paul is just saying, Archippus, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't drop out. Don't be like a John Mark. Though John Mark became profitable to Paul in the ministry, and he is restored, and obviously was used uh, even alongside Barnabas. But Archippus was reminded, like Timothy, of stirring up that gift, of remembering the gift, the calling that you received from the Lord. And he says, fulfill it. Fulfill it. What God has called you to, he will give you the strength to fulfill it, to perform it. And we have to remember that. We're going to probably have some stretching times on Saturday, and I'm thankful for it. We're going to be hosting a conference. This is a ministry of our church that God has given us and an opportunity, and we're going to be probably challenged a little bit on Saturday. We're going to be stretched a little bit on Saturday, but that's going to be good for us. And I know we're going to probably have to to, to tweak and to maybe do things a little bit differently should we host the conference again uh, in the future. But this is what God has given us to do, and I'm thankful for the many who are willing to come out and give up a Saturday and, and to help us out. And uh, I know that uh, there is uh, some, some uh, conflict in a, in a good way. Uh, obviously, there, there are some who are not able to come and help as a result of the, the funeral and visitation and and uh, God knows that, and God understands that, and God's perfect timing and plan. But these are ministry opportunities that, uh, that are so good for us to help us and to uh, be a blessing in, in people's lives. And I just wonder if Archippus just got a little bit down, got a little bit discouraged, felt a little bit inadequate, and Paul said, Archippus, you can do this. Remember, this ministry is of the Lord. You received this from the Lord. So if it's from the Lord, then he will give you the power to fulfill it, to complete it. He who hath begun a good work in you will perform. I know that's referring to salvation. But faithful, faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. And I know those passages, even in, in primary application, especially the Philippians 1.6 passage, are primarily speaking to our assurance of our salvation. But even to the individual ministries and opportunities that God gives us. I, I'm not trying to make this about me, but again, as a parent, how many of us ever felt like we were 100% fully prepared to be a parent? None of us were. And when our children were born, we didn't get a handbook. When Emily was born, I didn't get a handbook. Here's how you deal with a girl. And at age 16, this, age 18, we didn't get that. We didn't get one with the boys. I remember putting, getting home and putting Emily in the crib and Kelly and I looking at each other and saying, now what do we do? Try to get some rest, right? <laughs> but you never feel fully prepared sometimes for the things that God calls you to do. But you step out in faith and you trust God and you do it. And maybe Archippus was there at that time. But he was given similar encouragement. Some have even suggested that maybe he was the son of Philemon. Uh, but we're not 100% sure about that. And then Priscilla and Aquila. Wow, what a, what a blessing. These are a couple of people that I look forward to meeting. There's many people I look forward to, to meeting in heaven, but this is a special couple. I'm so thankful for married couples in, in, in our churches and in, in ministries. I'm thankful for everybody in our church. I'm thankful for the young people. I'm thankful, thankful for the single adults and college career. But there are sometimes special married couples that God uses in our lives and in our churches. I think of different people throughout the years. 
just somebody that uh, was even talking with, uh, with Tegan about on Sunday, uh, friends of, of friends or friends of family, and they were in our former ministry, and, and uh, it just people who God just brings into your life, who you kind of look up to, and us with young kids, certain couples that we would look at in the church, and we'd kind of say, okay, well, how did they handle this situation, or it, what was he like as a father, what was she like as a mother, um, people serving in the church, and uh, just saying, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a faithful person just like that. Priscilla and Aquila were those kinds of people. They were Jews. They apparently fled Rome. Acts 18 and verse number 2 speaks very specifically. And now we're in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 19. We're actually getting out of Colossians 4 and skipping over to 2 Timothy 4 uh, to verse 19 where Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned. And we see in Romans chapter 18... Excuse me, Acts, verse, uh, Acts chapter 18 and verse number 2. And found a certain Jew. So Paul departed from Athens, came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So we see them in Acts 18 on Paul's second missionary journey when he gets to Corinth. And what are they doing there? Apparently, the church at Corinth is in their home. And apparently, they also were hosting a church in Rome. Now, I get a little confused, I'll have to admit, as I was doing my study in preparation. I was getting a little confused as to whether their church was in their home in Rome first or if it was in Corinth first, it almost looked as though they were in Corinth first and hosting the church there, and then they went back to Rome and hosted the church there in their house once the decree of the persecution of Jews was lifted. But Claudius was emperor from A.D. 41 to A.D. 54, and Claudius was a, a dictator emperor. He was a very cruel man, he was biased and racist toward the Jews, hated the Jews, made this, 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 this decree to kick the Jews out of Rome. So in this dispersion, Priscilla and Aquila come down to Corinth. Paul there, by the providence of God, on his second missionary journey, comes to Corinth, a wicked city, a city with all kinds of rampant sin, it was so bad in Corinth that to Corinthianize was to be immoral. Their city was known for their immorality to the point that they were even referred to, if you were a particularly immoral person, you, you were a, a Corinthian. To Corinthianize was to say you were a very immoral person. And they were used of the Lord to help get the, Corinth, the Corinthian church started. And we know the kind of growth that the Corinthian church had to go through. And Priscilla and Aquila were willing to host that church and to be a husband and wife couple in a church with a lot of issues and be there as stalwarts, faithful, and an encouragement to Paul. They are, they are drawn, or Paul's drawn to them as they are fellow tent makers. In Romans 16, in verse number 3, uh, they're, they're helpers. And we just read there in Acts 18 and verse number 2 and 3, 
uh, how else they were involved in the ministry there. But Romans 16 and verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Verse number 4 of Romans 16, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I, gave, I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. They served Paul at great risk to their own lives. And then we could go back to Acts 18 and further down in that chapter, and we can see how they came alongside the, the uh, preacher, the evangelist Apollos, and helped him in his ministry and his preaching because he was a little confused about some things. And instead of being scolding and rude and letting this rookie preacher, this pipsqueak preacher, instead of letting him know that they were the mature saints who knew more than him and embarrass him and make him feel worthless in the ministry. No, that's not how Priscilla and Aquila approached Apollos. They saw in him a man who was called of God, who had great zeal for the Lord, who was already being used of the Lord, but he needed some straightening out a little bit. And I'm thankful for these people who God puts in our life, who comes alongside in Acts 18 and verse number, I just lost it, chapter 18 and verse 26 of Acts 18. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They brought him in. They didn't make a public example and shame him and embarrass him and ruin him in the ministry. They brought him in and they said, hey, Apollos, have you thought about this? Have you? Here's, here, here's what we have learned. Here's what the Apostle Paul has taught us. Here's something that can help you in your ministry. And he was used of God even in greater ways because of Priscilla and Aquila came into his life and helped and encouraged him as they served in the church at Corinth, as they served in the church at Rome, as they served Paul, even laying down their life or putting their life at risk, I should say, in serving Paul, they even took a young preacher and they pulled him alongside and helped him out and helped him be more efficient, more correct. Not that he was a heretic, not that he was somebody out there as a false teacher, but he just needed some straightening out. And I'm thankful for some people like that in my life as a young preacher and a lot of zeal, not always according to knowledge, wanting to preach everywhere I possibly could. And I'm thankful for some people through the years. Uh, and even since I've been here who are willing to uh, give me a little advice and to say this and say that, have you thought about this or have you considered this? I'm thankful uh, for Priscilla and Aquila's in my life. And I'm sure there are people in your life that you can think of. And if I can encourage young couples for a moment, find, find that older couple. It could be, yes, your mom and dad who are the, 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 the greatest example to you, but maybe there's another couple in the church, an older couple who you, you, you can look up to, you can learn from. And you can get advice from and, and you can be challenged by. And, and that is such a, a wonderful thing that God brings as we have a church with a diverse generational influence. That is a wonderful thing 
to be able to have our young people rub shoulders with a generation that's two or three generations older than them, but can speak great wisdom and truth and be great examples. And sometimes it's just common sense, practical advice. But it comes from a heart of love and compassion and desire to help a younger believer or a young couple. What a blessing Priscilla and Aquila must have been uh, to the church at Corinth and to Paul and to Apollos. And then we close with Onesephorus. Now, I wonder what his nickname was. Oni? Uh, Sif? <laughs> hey, Siffy. <laughs> hey, Oni. I'm just trying to think. You know how it is, right? Everybody who has a long name ends up with a nickname, right, or a shorter. Uh, we even do that with, uh, with our kids a little bit. But here's Onesephorus. And he's mentioned in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 19. And I know we jumped out of Colossians 4. But looking at, again, some of these companions in the ministry, 2 Timothy 4, in verse 19, Salute Priscilla, or Prissa and Aquila, and the household of Onesephorus. And then 2 Timothy 1, in verse 16, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesephorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may, he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Onesephorus refreshed Paul in the ministry. He was a good companion to him, even seeking him out when Paul was in prison. Now, I know that we have to go through certain channels. I have not done a lot of jail ministry or prison ministry. I've done a little bit. But how many of you have ever had to visit someone, say, in a prison or, or a jail, had to get visitation privileges? Okay, all right. You have to go through certain protocols. I would imagine that there might be Social Security number, certain IDs, maybe a background check. I, I don't know. There's a certain number of things that you have to do. It probably also depends on where they're at. Uh, as far as their security and, and that sort of thing. Well, in Rome, how did you get access to a prisoner? I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't know what it took for him to get past all the different security. I know that eventually Paul was given some measure of freedom and house arrest, and there were people who were able to come and visit him. But there was something about Onesephorus that Paul mentions, that he sought him out. He sought me out very diligently, Onesephorus was not ashamed to be identified with a man who was put in jail, but in prison for preaching the gospel. Who do we identify with? We want to wear the jersey of all these sports athletes, nothing wrong with that. We want to have our dress, our style, just like this celebrity that's on TV, a pop star that's on the platform. Not always wrong. Sometimes I wonder if the people that we're patterning our dress and our standards after, I, I wonder if that's really who we should be looking at to set the standard for our, our conduct and our dress. I, I think there's a lot of very, very bad examples that we see people patterning their life after. But we want to be identified with certain groups or with certain people or certain teams, don't we? Who was Onesephorus willing to be identified with? Seeking out a prisoner 
who was in prison for preaching the gospel. And Onesephorus said, I want to be a blessing to him. And I don't care if I have to go through all the different channels of authority to get to him. I want to be a help and an encouragement. I want to learn from Paul. And he was willing to be identified with a man who was in prison for the gospel. Think about our life. Do we want to be identified with the followers of Jesus Christ? Do we want to be identified with those who are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Or are we going to want to be identified with the world? We're coming to a place in America, aren't we? Where we're going to have to have a lot more Onesephoruses. Who are going to say, the world behind me, the cross before me. Who are going to be a lot more willing to say, forget about all this identification with the world. And all of its pleasures and all of its pomp and all of its pride. I want to be identified with those who have taken a stand for what is right, who have preached faithfully, who have stood for the truth, and who are even suffering for Christ. That's who I want to be identified with. That's who I want to be involved with, and that's who I want to be a blessing to. And maybe that's where some of us uh, maybe need to take a, a step of growth or maybe help some young people who are struggling with where they are at in life, and we can help them and help them be like an Onesephorus who found that he was not ashamed to be a friend of, to be identified with Paul during his imprisonment as a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. These are great companions in the ministry. Good examples. Hope that they have been a help to us and encouragement to us tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church family. We ask again, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, to do his work in our hearts through your word. Help us to be like an Onesephorus, a Nymphus, a Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Lord, like each of these individuals, help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, obedient, to be willing to be identified with those who love you and serve you and are even suffering for you. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless the conference on Saturday. Help us in preparing for that. Give us opportunity with the gospel and to be a great blessing and uh, minister to uh, the needs and to those who are here, pray for the Joneses, pray for Ron, pray that the Lord you be with the Fox family as well, continue to give them your comfort and your peace, pray for your blessings upon the funeral on Saturday and the visitation Friday evening, thank you for Lynn's testimony and, and thank you Lord that uh, we have that great uh, comfort and that hope and that promise that she is with you and we will see her again and we again give all this to you and thank you for it, give you the praise and the glory in Jesus name, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you on, on a Saturday or, or, or Sunday.